It's Monday night, and that means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics. Uh, tonight we've got a really cool guest, someone that I've wanted to have on the show for a while, and, and someone who we've talked about uh, his comics uh, in the past with uh, one of our previous guests, Blur Girl, where she highly recommended it and got me super interested in checking it out. Plus, he's local to me, so you got to go support the local talent. Uh, but before I introduce him, I want to welcome my co-host, Alana. How you doing? Well, um, like most of us, I guess I'm struggling right now, but I've been trying to encourage folks to get involved with activism in their communities, and I'll be sharing a few tips at the end of the show. Cool. Uh, so tonight's guest uh, is Roy Akupe, who is the creator of EXO, The Legend of Wale Williams. It's a superhero story set in 2025 Africa, and follows uh, the main hero, Wale, as he gets a super suit and has to go uh, help his city and his, his nation. Uh, it's a really, really great comic. Um, there's been two volumes out so far uh, from Unique Studios, and we welcome his creator, uh, Roy. How you doing? I'm doing great, guys. It's, uh, it's really, really an honor to be here. I've listened to the podcast, and... Um, I think they've spoken online on how much I've anticipated coming online, uh, coming on on the show. So, thanks for having me, and uh, let's have some fun. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, you know, the first question, really, really simple. Of you know, clearly you're creating comic book series. You know, for you growing up, because you've got a, a really yeah. interesting story in that you you created this African character. You're actually from Africa and then moved to the, the states when you yeah. were 17. Um, you know, growing up in Africa. Like, you know, I've I've never been. I've no idea what what it's like over there. Um, so this really mm-hmm. is coming from complete ignorance. Uh, you, were you reading <laughs> comics growing up? And like, you know, what type of comics did you have over there? Uh, so yeah, I was born in uh, Lagos, Nigeria, and um, I mean, growing up, I I mean, like many who listen to the podcast, and I'm sure you guys as well. I, I was really hooked on superheroes, but um, I actually got. Um, you know, a, a, attached to superhero stuff via the animation medium as opposed to comic book, comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, there weren't um, a lot of comic book stores, um, you know, back when I was uh, when I was growing up in Little Nigeria. Um, and comics were very scarce uh, in terms of where you could actually get them. Um, you know, but you know, for me, um, Saturday morning cartoons were, um, you know, the, I guess my first into getting to know, okay, some of the popular superheroes that you see now, not just superheroes, like TV shows like, um, you know, Transformers, Ninja Turtles, um, you know, Power Rangers and different kind of things. And um, for me, I just, I just fell in love with the, with the whole concept of a hero saving, saving the day. And um, back, you know, back then I always wondered where the, where the African heroes were, where the super, uh, African superheroes or the Nigerian superheroes and um, I mean, fast forward to a little over t- what twenty years later, um, moved to the U.S. Um, and um, you know that was like the kind of the, the boom for the you know the movies that were coming out, like the Spider-Man, you know, the Batman movies, or the Christopher Nolan. And um, I just decided, hey, if I was going to um, create uh, an African superhero, a Nigerian superhero that you know, you know, tied to where I was from, I was just going to do it myself, and that's that's kind of like why I started the company, and um, it's been really great since then. 
That's really fantastic. I mean, in America, we really grew up with primarily reading stories in which American characters are the center mm-hmm. and where everything takes place in America. And if it doesn't take place in America, it takes place in England because <laughs> it's Harry Potter right. or it's the Beatles, you know, right. one of those two things. And yeah, I, you know, I, I imagine that a lot of the American geek culture is like kind uh, of was imported over there. And obviously like Lagos right. Nigeria is like a huge cultural capital. Like that's right. where, you know, pop like African popular music is like that's really the hub of African popular music. And well, you've done so, your research. That's wicked smart. Documentary. That's really all I can say for myself is I saw a documentary about Fela and I've like went to a show or two. But like, but um, you know, so like while there's this identity of like African pop music and African rock and jazz, mm-hmm. like there isn't, there hadn't really been like. It was, had there been like a this is African geek culture kind of a moment or was it really like a lot of other countries where you're primarily just consuming it through the lens of other cultures? Yeah, um, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, basically when it comes to the, the superhero genre back then, um, it was basically all about American culture. But, um, you know, I, I'm not one of the people, like, I'm all for diversity. I'm all for creating diverse characters. Um, but, um, you know, I, I have a little bit of a problem when people leave that to companies like just Marvel and DC. Um, while they do have a responsibility to create diverse characters, I believe, you know, um, creators like me who are, you know, either born, you know, born and raised in, um, you know, Nigeria, other parts of Africa, or not just Africa, other parts of the world where, you don't get to see, you know, these superhero characters. The onus is on us, is on us to create stories where we are from. We were the ones that, um, you know, either live there right now or grew up there or have some kind of connection towards, you know, you know, the various countries in Africa, you know. So it, it's really up to us to create really, really genuine stories about our upbringing or our, our history, our culture, and um, not only rely on these um, mega studios or these mega comic book companies to, you know, to create these characters. Again, I, you know, I'm not trying to say that they, they don't have a responsibility to create a, a diverse library as possible, but I also feel like we as, you know, African creators or diverse creators, uh, creators that are non-American or, you know, you know, people of color, we do have a responsibility to create what we want to see and push it as hard as possible. Uh, because Marvel started from somewhere. They didn't just come this, you know, become this mega studio overnight they've been doing this for what 75 80 years and um you know uh i feel like if we um as diverse creators of people of color or, you know people from africa or nigeria we keep on doing consistent stuff you know and not only doing it consistently but also putting out the quality that's necessary i think we can you know make a stamp on the industry as well and that's what i'm trying to do that's really great and it makes a lot of sense i mean there's like unique cultural aspects that are going to make sense when it's told from a voice from someone who's like steeped in that culture. Uh, right. Having read, yeah, I know our listeners probably haven't checked out your series yet and they, they obviously they should, and I'm just you know, trying to read it myself. Are there particular aspects of the, <laughs> I mean, your story takes place in the future. So you have this, this it's like literally like Afrofuturist in that way. Are there things that are particularly, right. um, Particular to like Nigeria, really, uh, in uh-huh. in the, in the in the families that it's starring and in the stories that right. it's telling. Yes. Um, so uh, one thing that I always say is, uh, as much as it's futuristic, it, it's near future. So it's set in 2025, which is you know 10 years into the future. 
And, um, you know, for me, one of the reasons I did that was because I didn't want to make it too far out where in the comic you see things that uh, you wouldn't go to Lagos and you see right now. So basically when you, you know, you read my book, um, EXO, you know, either part one or part two, there's a lot of, you know, cultural aspects that, um, you know, you, you would merely, as a Nigerian, if you're reading or an African, you would merely identify with, or even if you weren't born or raised in Africa or you don't know anything about Africa, you'd be able to spot some of the things that uh, I highlight, like right off the bat in terms of, you know, some of the slang that we use back home in Nigeria, you know, some of the ways we interact with clothing, you know, the way the city looks, the monuments and things like that. So for me, it was very important to, highlight those things because a lot of times when you hear about Africa in the news or Nigerian news specifically, it, it's not always about great stuff. And why you, and while we do want to highlight some of the issues that, you know, we may have there, um, I think it's equally as important to highlight some of the great things that are happening there as well too. And that's really what I'm trying to do with my book is that not only tell a, you know, kick-ass story about you know, a great superhero who is inspiring and, you know, great action, great story, great writing, you know, but, you know, not shying away from some of the issues we have, but also not shying away from some of the great achievements we've had as a nation and as a continent as a whole as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because people really gonna, don't really have a sense of that in America. Like, we have such this weird mythology of, like, the way it's a lot of it, frankly, is how the charity, nonprofit industries have right. promoted conversations around it. Make it, And, like, people don't know, like, this is a modern city. There's people and doing business and science and the normal things that everyone else does. Right. Um, you know, but I mean, but then again, it's, again, like I said, in, in, and I'm very sorry to cut you off, um, but like mm-hmm, I said mm-hmm. in the beginning, it's, it's um, as much as, yes, there's some, there's certain things that, uh, you know, stereotypical that are being portrayed via mainstream media. Um, I still feel like there's a lot of responsibility, you know, you know, for people like me who are born and raised there, who are currently living there, to tell our version of the story, put out content that's relevant to our culture currently, you know, from the past, our mythology as well, and things like that, and actually push it out there and not just depend on someone else to tell our news or someone else to tell our story the way they see it. Like, it's up to us to put it out there the way it truly is as well too. So um again, I mm-hmm. I always try to challenge, you know, writers that um and not just from Africa, from different parts of the world that believe that they have a story to tell or don't like the fact that um they're not necessarily superheroes from where they're from. It's like, you know, partner with someone. If you're a writer, look for an artist. If you're an artist, you know, write a story. If you're a filmmaker, do a film. If you're into animation, you know, do a short and actually put your story out there and then you know people and the internet has made the world's such a global place is that you can, you know, someone in all the way in Asia can, you know, you know, read your comic or watch your animation basically with the click of a button. So um, it, it's really a great time to put out our stories. You know, that brings me to a question, which is how did you learn how to write comics? It's actually a very funny story. Um, so initially I wanted to do EXO as, as, as an animated movie. Actually, as an animated series for a series, then I changed it to an animated movie. And um, I remember back then I was actually um, trying to get uh, the first thing I did was I did an animated short. Uh, it was about eight minutes long, and I tried to shop that around to so many places, and I basically heard no everywhere um, in terms of well, you have something great, but you don't have a fan base. So we don't know if this character is going to work. Blah blah blah. And animation is expensive. Um, it's not necessarily something you can do independently or else you have a huge team of people who are willing to put in a whole lot of sacrifice. Um, so um, 
I remember trying to get a couple of scriptwriters to to help out with the animation, um, and basically no one was interested in you know writing the story about um, about um, the character that I had in mind. And, um, and it's one of the things I pride myself on is that I'm a self learner. I didn't go to school for animation or writing or com- like like I went to um, I went to GW uh, George Washington University to st- study computer programming, and um, you know I don't really use that skill right now. Um, you know, so everything that I've had to learn up until this point is self-taught. So I basically just bought as many script writing books as possible, took as many tutorials online, learned from, you know, a lot of great independent um, creators as well, you know, bought their comic books, you know, saw what they were trying to do, you know, with their writing and tried to take as many, uh, as much as possible and learn, you know, just from different, um, so many avenues. Because, I mean, I, I honestly believe, like I said, the Internet has made things, a lot simultaneously a lot easier and a lot harder easier because obviously there's resources but also harder because then there's it, it's a whole lot of competition out there as mm-hmm. well too but um yeah I, I um i i basically just you know got as many resources as possible and I, I started to write the movie script and um when i saw the movie wasn't really going anywhere then i you know learned how to write a comic book script and then translated it to a comic book script and um basically just uh you know partnered with some artists back home you know, in Nigeria and um, got the book out as well. What were some of the, the differences between doing a, a movie script and an actual comic script? Um, so it, it's a funny thing because now I've actually, um, you know, I think I inadvertently created a pipeline for myself that I feel like works very, 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 very um, great for me is that um, now if I'm working on, and I, I you know, currently I only do graphic novels, um, I always tell people I'm not very good when it comes to writing um, sequential issues of comic books because I don't know how to leave cliffhangers every 22 to 30 pages. <laughs> so I just focus on, I focus on my strength where it's like each graphic novel for me is like a movie script. Um, so you have mm. you know, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I, I, I write my gra- – if you read my graphic novels, it, you see that it has that cinematic – type of feel, not just in the, you know, the dialogue or the way the characters interact, but also, you know, the, um, the, com- the art as well. I always try to tell my artists, I give them as, as much freedom as possible. I always tell them, like, I want this to feel like storyboards for an animated movie. And that's done intentionally because I feel like it actually allows my book to stand out where I'm trying to, you know, introduce you know, something that's a little bit different to the comic book um, medium, whereas, like I said, all my, all my, all my books start out as um, screenplays first. I, I always write a screenplay first. Like, you know, I've done this, uh, I'm on my third book now, and um, that's basically how I've done it. So mm-hmm. I write a screenplay first, and then, you know, I have a couple people check it out. I actually do send it to, you know, script, script, uh, script consultants to actually look. And I don't tell them it's for a comic book. I basically say, hey, I'm, I'm trying to get this movie made. What do you guys think? Um, give me some feedback on that. And, and based on their feedback, I take that and I, I work on the screenplay again. Once, I, once I've gotten the screenplay to a point that I'm comfortable with, then I translate it into a, a, a comic book or a, like graphic novel, you know, basically. You know, so um, one of the differences I would say is that, yeah, it's very interesting and it, it's a very unique pipeline that um, it takes a whole lot. I mean, it takes longer. But um, I found that, um, to me personally, the results have been very rewarding because, like I said, you know, I just feel like the books come out so differently from what you currently see in other comic books or other graphic novels or trades that are basically put together. These books are written like graphic novels, like 
they have, like I said, the beginning, the middle, and an end, like an act one, act two, and act three. Like, it, it goes like, mm-hmm. it, it's like if you're going into the theater when you're reading my books, and that's just really the way that I know how to write. So um, one of the biggest differences is the level of instructions that I have to put from the screenplay to the comic book script, basically because I have to give as specific as much as possible instructions to, to the artist because I don't like to leave them hanging. I don't like to just give them like, oh, hey, um, insert a cool fight scene here. Like I actually go into like specific details like, okay, right hook, and then his hand bends 30 degrees clockwise, and here's a picture that is an example of, what I'm talking about. Um, oh wow! You know, so yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I try to do it, and I do, I do it for two reasons. Because for me, I really need to visualize it. Um, you know, as I'm writing, and as I'm writing, I already have reference pictures for myself when I'm writing, and I feel like that actually makes it easier for the artist to now take it to a different level. Like half of the things I put in the script, that the artist does take it to another level. So if I tell him, okay, like I said, right punch, and you know, do it, you know, third degree twist on the fist he may come back and say, well, this doesn't really work on this panel. Like, we can do a right punch, but then let's have the elbow bend at 60 degrees. And then I find out, oh, wow, it comes out much, much greater. But I feel like those initial sets of instructions that give, give the artist, you know, some kind of uh, a foundation to, you know, allow his, talent, his talents bring in another element of storytelling it has worked out so great on the, on the three books I have uh, I've written so far. Wow, that is really a lot of specificity, actually, for, for <laughs> it pitching. is. It is. Yeah. It is. Usually, yeah, you, usually it takes me between four to six. Yeah, yeah. four to six <laughs> months to, to write a script. But yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to say, like, yeah, how did you connect with the artists that you've been working with? Yeah, so um, I met a a guy over Facebook. Um, his name is Ayodele Elegba, and um, he actually runs the Lagos Comic Con. They've been doing it for five years. Um, and uh, he was the first person that I, I spoke to when I first uh, wanted to do comic books. Um, uh, I knew that um, for my specific books, because they were based on Nigerian characters, I wanted Nigerian artists who lived in Nigeria to actually work on the book because I felt like they could bring a perspective that no one else could bring. Um, and he's you know, heavily networked into the, the comic book industry back home in Nigeria. And he, he basically um, worked with me to try and put the team together um, so Sukomi Akimboye is the illustrator, and then Raphael Kazim is the colorist, and Godwin Akman usually does my covers. And then for my newest book, uh, Malaika, Warrior Queen, which will be coming out next year, um, mm. I have a new artist working on it. Uh, his name is Chima Kalu. Um, so, yeah, these these are, you know, very, very talented people. Um, and not just talented, they, you know, they, they actually have a passion because I, that's another thing that I always say. is like, And it doesn't even have to be comic books. Like, if you're doing anything in life and you don't have passion for it, uh, I feel like you're in the wrong place. Um, it, I mean, it's okay to struggle. It's okay to go through ups and downs. But if you don't have passion for what you're doing, you can only do it for so long because I feel like passion is what takes you through, you know, the ups and downs of, you know, that, that are inevitable in everything that you're going to do in life. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for the people I work with. And um, I can't wait to share some of the cool stuff that I'm going to be coming out with next year after EXO. Excellent. With the with the story, uh, with the story itself, the the thing that really struck me yeah. about it is that, you know, even though it takes place in Nigeria, it's still very relatable. You know, what you have as far as a story right. is things that are going on right here in the U.S., especially now when we're talking about you know people being left behind, government not caring right. about people, 
Um, right. You know, is, is, is that something that, you know, that, that really is universal and that, or, you know, is that a slight, um, you know, kind of blending of, of issues and in cultures and in countries together? Yeah, um, definitely. It's um, for me, I feel like um, as human beings, um, whether you're black, you're white, you're from Nigeria, from America, Mexico, whatever, wherever it is, I feel like we all gravitate towards a great story. Um, I think stories first, and then I mean, if, if you do it the right way, let me put, let me let me rephrase. If you do it the right way, your story can transcend, you know, any kind of bar- barrier. Like I said, it could be, you know, race, could be religion, whatever the case may be. I feel like if you have a great story, it can transcend those barriers. And for me, um, I wanted to do something that was authentic to Nigeria, but didn't alienate the rest of the world. I grew up loving Spider-Man because he was like the kid next door who goes to school, gets bullied. You know, he's trying to get the girl. He can't get the girl. But again, he still has to juggle these superpowers and save the world, you know, and, and that, that was one of the reasons why I was so attached to some of these characters is that they have, you know, they have so many relatable features where you actually, you actually got a chance to relate to the character first before the overall story arc or whatever it is they were trying to battle at, 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 at any point in time. Um, so for me, I, I tried to in, integrate elements that I felt like anybody around the world could relate with, and that's, you know, like people being neglected. You have that every in every part of the world. It's not just, it's really not just segregated to one aspect of people or one aspect of, you know, one continent or one country. Like, everywhere you go, you do have people being, feeling like they are left behind. I also wanted to integrate a whole lot of family dynamics because I feel like that's one thing that's universal. It's like everybody has a family. Everybody has, you know, parents that they, you know, you know, disagree with. You know, they have, you know, siblings that they can't stand one day and they love so much the next day. And they have, you know, either ex-girlfriends or girlfriends that they want to be with that, or boyfriends that, you know, they can't stand and they have issues with or they're trying to go through you know, you know, a, a tough, a tough patch or a rough patch. You know, and you know, just trying to basically get through life as well too. So I try to surround the main character Wally Williams, who, you know, in in himself, he's both an ordinary and extraordinary character. He's ordinary because he goes through all of the same things that, you know, we do. But he's extraordinary in the sense that um, obviously this is fiction, so he is a little bit. Um, larger than life in terms of his drive to um, people that mean, you know, that mean basically the world to him, like his family, his um, his city, and, and his country as a whole. And that's what makes him a hero. It's not really the suit. The suit just is a tool for him to be able to solve the problems. But the hero himself is within his character, not his powers. And um, that's something that I really like. I really try to, um, you know, um, relaying the story very early on. Um, there, there's a scene in, in, in um, I think it's around page 14 or 15, where Wally has just come back home after five years, and he's in a taxi, and he's basically looking around like he doesn't recognize the city. Um, you know, and it, there's a lot of um, inner dialogue going on in his head, and he's talking about the city and things that have gone wrong and things that he sees mm-hmm. that are better and things that can, you know, can be better. And then he sees an old lady getting mugged in the alley and he tells the cab driver maybe to stop and he goes and, you know, basically fights all of them and saves her and then he gets in the cab and goes back home. And that's before he gets the suit, you know. So, yeah. um, 
you know, so just things like that allow you to, um, you know, gravitate to more, towards more, uh, to more towards the character and actually root for him when you can see that the hero is basically the, the person and not the alter ego and not the, the guy in the suit. And, um, you know, that as well as some of the other things I mentioned earlier is what I feel like I see, you know, like it makes a great story and, you know, transcends wherever the location is or whatever language you're speaking or wh- wherever the, the central story is taking place. I feel like anybody from any part of the world can gravitate towards some of the things that I've integrated into my books. Yeah, I mean, yeah. With the, the, yeah. I would say the story itself really when at the heart of it is, is gentrification, right? Like, it, you know, it's something yeah. that, people experience all over the place and you know it's something that right. I thought was really really interesting and, and, and hooked me and I thought was fascinating uh, while reading it yeah um, it, it's um, I like to use the superhero medium because it, it's such a you know hijinks and you know there's a lot of action and there's a lot of you know loud explosions which are great I love that stuff um, I mean mm-hmm. I've been in the theater for almost every model in the DC movie and every Transformers movie so I like that kind of stuff but one thing I always like to do is surround that within um you know some some type of like a quasi you know very very serious issue that you know can be taken lightly you know so as much as you see a lot of humor in my book and you know there's a lot of jokes you know both universal and there's some you know, um, you know, stuff that okay, people that are not necessarily from Nigeria, Africa may not get, although I try to, there's a lot of translations in the book, so I hope everybody gets that. But yeah. there, there, there are um, very, very serious issues that I try to tackle, like corruption, like you said, gentrification, um, social inequality, social injustice. Because uh, I, I feel like, um, you know, uh, this genre is so popular and it reaches so many people and it's very accessible to people who want to, you know, just, you know, get their minds of things or they want to see a nice action flick or read a nice action book. But it's it's also a chance to, while giving people entertainment, to educate them as well and also highlight some of the things we as human beings can do better or, you know, some, some of the things that people that we, you know, aren't, we aren't necessarily in their shoes are going through so we can be more enlightened towards their pain. I, I know that I had to do a whole lot of research to... um to get into some of the issues that, you know, were not only going on in Nigeria, but the world as a whole. And um, as, a, as a writer, it opened my eyes to, you know, just how fortunate that I am, you know, to, to have some of the things I have or some of the luxury that I have that other people don't get to, you know, don't get to have on a daily basis, uh, you know. And uh, it was very important to me that I, you know, as much as I want to entertain, I do want to educate, I do want to inspire as well too. So um, getting to integrate that into a superhero story, it's honestly one of the most, gratifying things that um, I've ever done in my life is like trying, you know, putting two things together, like high action, high octane entertainment, but also trying to send a message, you know, when it comes to some of the serious issues that are going around in our world, it's, it's really a privilege to be able to, to, to write such a story. One of the things I was really thinking about is the, uh, the choice of having the superhero have technology based powers and having be like a Mm -hmm. super suit oriented hero right. rather than like you could have it be a science hero whose powers are physical over his body like the way spider-man's were you know like right. there's lots of different ways to give a character superpowers and mm-hmm. uh, i guess i have i have thoughts about why you might go this particular route you did but i want i, I want to hear them from you <laughs> well um this is the part where you know it'll be nice for me to give some kind of inspirational thing that um, you know motivated me to do that. I just think <laughs> I think suits are very cool, 
And uh, for me, that was one. I mean, I, I love I love Tron as a movie, and I'm sure you can see some of the inspiration in the suits that he wears. Um, you know, I'm a huge sci-fi guy. You know, you know, I love you know science fiction, and I love researching science fiction. Like one 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 thing that I do all the time is like when I watch shows, um, you know, sci-fi shows or like watch sci-fi movies. Like immediately I get a chance. I'm on my phone trying to research some of the things that they said, or trying to actually say, okay, so you know, oh, so. Iron Man said this and this works, so let me go and research actually if that's actually accurate. You know, so I do a lot of that and I try to do a lot of research. And you know, for me, um, that was you know the one thing that I said I wanted to do first is I wanted to blend science fiction and you know the superhero genre together to to create um, you know something that um, you know it was my story and um, and and some some sort of a. Um, you know, a positive thing came out of that because as I started to write the story, um, it gave me an opportunity to show that, um, you know, people that are from Africa are also technologically advanced as well. There's a lot of advancement that's being made in Africa that, you don't, like I said, you don't get to hear uh-huh. in, in mainstream media. So if I can have, you know, some Nigerian dude or some African dude, even if it's fiction, you know, you know, you know, working on, uh, and, and his father built a suit, not Wally himself, but Wally himself is a computer genius. He's, you know, like a super hacker or whatever the case may be. Um, but yeah, his father is the scientist and his father built a suit and as well as so many other technological advancements in the book. But uh, yeah, like I said, if I can have, you know, a Nigerian or African doing things that, you know, you know, are not of the norm to what you would see um, in mainstream, like an African or, you know, you know, Nigerian, you know, involved in sci-fi or technology and things like that. Um, I think it's also something positive for a young kid to see and, you know, to be able to say, oh, wow, so, you know, I can do that. Because one of the things that affected me growing up is that when I watched superhero, uh, either the movies or, like I said, you know, things I grew up in were the Saturday morning cartoons, and I did not see... You know, not only did I not see, you know, Nigerian or African superheroes like wearing the masks or the suits, I didn't see any Nigerian animators. I didn't see any Nigerian comic book mm-hmm. writers or com- comic book artists or, you know, uh, Nigerian directors or African directors. And um, growing up, I felt like, well, my best chance, you know, to have a happy life is to, you know, study computer science and, you know, <laughs> you know, just do what the norm is and get a good job and, you know, retire, whatever the case may be. Um it wasn't until years later that I decided to take a chance on myself and say, hey, you like superheroes, you like animation, you're into comic books, why don't you do that and try and do that for a living? And last year I quit my job and I've been doing that, you know, for a year and a half now and so far so good. But I, I think it's important for young minds around the world to be able to, um, you know, see people of color in in positions that they they don't normally see, not just because it looks good or it's something that um, is positive, but just so that they can also have an image in their head that um, this can be them. This this they can do that, which is why I'm, you know, I feel like I'm in such a, a a very privileged position to be able to inspire people as someone like I said who does animation and comic books for a living. It's it's not. <laughs> It's not the most glamorous job, but like I said, I've been able to live my life so far, however modest. <laughs> I've tried to do it, um, you know, but um, being able to say that I'm a full-time, you know, comic book writer or, you know, animation producer, you know, as someone who grew up in Lagos, Nigeria, um, is it, something that's very proud of me, and I hope I can inspire other people that are not just in Africa or Lagos, Nigeria, anybody that feels like they've been marginalized in a way that they, they feel like this cannot be a career for them. 
I'm not a super special guy, a super talented guy. I'm just someone that worked very hard to get to where I am, and I feel like if people can emulate that, that they can get to where I am too as well too. So which is this? that's one of the inspirations why I keep going. I keep doing what I'm doing, and I keep trying to do it at such an, such an excellent um, excellent pace that um, so people can see that it's actually possible to leave your dreams, whatever that may be. You know, one of the things that you said that just really sticks with me is the importance of showing uh, African characters doing science. And I, I, I don't remember which science fiction movie it was that it came out. I certainly didn't see it because it sounded terrible. But there were, you know, people, <laughs> lots of American critics have been talking about, like, how, how can you possibly have science fiction movies where, like, everybody in the future is white? You're basically postulating right. that right. the current spate of, like, genocidal violence that's, like, happening is going to actually wipe out the future of people of color right. in the world. Like, that's literally right. like the bleakest, most dystopian thing you could possibly put on a movie screen. <laughs> um, right. And so I think it's really good. You know, like you're, you're, yeah, you're doing sci-fi. That's going to happen pretty soon. But you are also right. establishing, like, this is a future in which, like, African people are here and they're doing things and those things right. are awesome. Um, right. Yeah, and I totally wish I could remember exactly which critics on Twitter were talking about this. But I've been really <laughs> thinking about that a lot. No, yeah, I mean, you're you're totally right, and um, I, I think it's unfortunate, but um, again, like I said, there's a whole crop of new um, artists, writers, um, you know, they are now taking a stand and not just complaining on the internet, but actually doing something about it. Um, one of my very close friends is Paul Louis Julie. Uh, he's the author and illustrator of Johante. Um, it's an Afrofuturist. Uh, space opera as well that's, you know, totally based on African inspiration, African aesthetics as well, too. And um, if anybody oh, wow. gets a chance, they should check out, yeah, they should check out Johante. It's, it's cool. pretty dope. Yeah, it's pretty dope. Can you spell it's, that out? So it, uh, yeah, it's spelled Y-O, H as in Harry, O as in Oscar, N for Nancy, C, and then E for Elephant. You know, so yeah, um, so a, a lot of people are, are, and that's one thing that I'm very proud of. And uh, this is more than just, you know, uh, African Americans or Africans. A whole lot of people, like I said, that I felt like they've been marginalized or they don't see themselves in sci fi or even fantasy. Fantasy is a huge one, too, as well, where you don't see a lot of people of color as well, too. So it's not just sci fi, you know, and, um, you know, anytime I watch a huge sci-fi movie and it's, it's like you said, it's hard to even find one, you know, black person. It's like, oh, wow. So, I mean, we don't, we don't get to do magic. <laughs> you know, we don't, you know, we don't get to do any of that. But um, I, I think the landscape is changing. Like I said, um, it, it's, it's very good to challenge the big guys, but I think um, it's even better to challenge yourself and either support, you know, independents that are doing it, or if you have the talent to do it, like I said, you're a writer, you're an artist, you're a filmmaker, you're a director, you're a producer, whatever the case may be, go out and actually produce something that's of quality and do it consistently enough, whereas over the years people can start to see something different. You know, I'm all for complaining, I'm all for protesting, saying, hey, we need more of this, but what I don't like is doing all that and not doing anything separate from that in terms of actions to change the narrative. Because like I said, Marvel, DC, Warner Brothers, Disney, I mean, they've... They've they've been around for hundreds. They can do whatever they want, and you know, almost have no consequences. You know, so and they've established their fan bases. You know, and you know, so it's really up to us. It's this new generation of you know writers and, um, like I said, people, uh, creatives to actually go out and you know make a difference and actually challenge the status quo. 
And I believe we can do that. Uh, like I said, consistency and quality would really get us there. One question, like, I, I you know, I'm familiar with the, the genre of, uh, and the idea of the concept of Afrofuturism. Um, uh-huh. You know, why why is that something that's, that's been drawn to so much as opposed to maybe presenting Africa now? Like, do you, do you have thoughts on onto that of why? Uh-huh. Like, I'm also thinking of, like, Black Panther. Black Panther is always, like, this futuristic, uh-huh. techly, you know, uh-huh. tech-advanced thing. Um, but uh-huh. I, I don't think I've ever really read something of presented in the now of of how things right. actually are, which it's and I I don't know the answer. Like I'm not this isn't normally my wheelhouse, so um, I'm actually right. would love to know if, if you can think of or if you have opinions as to why that is. That's a great question, and um, I can only answer it from my perspective. Um, so yes. what what I um there are two reasons, um, and and I said I tried to I tried to. Um, I really need to start qualifying my 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 um, synopsis with near future, because <laughs> my book is said ten years it said ten years in the future, um, and I did that yeah. on purpose. I didn't want to make it so like oh okay uh, you know this is where you know oh, so fifty years or hundred years this is what Africa will be doing no, you know so I I I, I purposefully made it close, um in, to make it um, so that um, this isn't something that you won't see if you go to Nigeria now or you won't see if you go to Lagos now now. Obviously, some of the things are exaggerate, exaggerated. You, you're not going to see flying dread robots, um, which are in the comic book, you know, in Lagos right now. At least I hope you, I hope not. But um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know. So um, yeah, so th- that that's definitely the case there. But um, you know, for me, uh, one of the reasons why, like I said, I said that is because I, I really wanted to do something that um, I don't, you know, you don't really see. And there's a lot of people that are actually creating content based on Africa now or Nigeria now. Um, there are two other okay. comic book. Um, you know, um, comic book, um, you know, companies that I'm personally a fan of, they're based out in Nigeria as well. There's Comic Republic and there's Vortex, um, Vortex Comics as well. They do great stuff um, that's based on, you know, uh, you know, African content as well. Um, but for me personally, like I said, um, doing something that was, you know, near future sci-fi, you know, you know, crossed with superhero was something that would definitely catch your eye. So, as opposed to just saying um, it's a superhero story based in Africa, it's a superhero story based in a futuristic Africa, just kind of like grabs people in. And I really wanted to do that because I wanted to do something different. And it's why, as well, my next book is, ironically enough, set in uh, pre-colonial Africa in the 15th century, and that's the Malaika hmm. Warrior Queen. Mm-hmm. Because I, I personally feel like um, it's as much as we want to move forward, it's, it's also equally as important to not forget where we're coming from as well too and um, Malaika is actually based off a real um, queen called um, uh, actually princess called Princess Amina and she was the princess of Zazu and Zazu is currently in um, a place a a state called um, Zaria Nigeria now Um, so um, Malaika's story is heavily inspired by um, Princess Amina and um, it's it's one thing that I, I wanted to integrate fantasy with, um, you know, um, African history and African mythology, and and that's how I I I, um, I came up with uh, the concept for Malaika. Again, it's something that you wouldn't regularly see anywhere. Like, okay, historical fantasy based on you know pre-colonial West Africa. It's just something that you want to say, hmm, what is this exactly? You know, what I'm saying so. Um, you know, for me, I think there's a lot of people who are doing stuff that's um, based on, you know, the um, the current cl- 
climate of what uh, Nigeria or Africa will look like. Um, but if, if, I, if I took a stab in terms of answering the question as to why you see more our focus on Afrofuturism, I just think a lot of people are frustrated with not seeing people of color in sci-fi. And I think it's, it's like okay. a, it's, it's more of a um, response to, well, if, you know, if you're not going to put us in, we're going to put ourselves and we're going to put it out there. Makes makes sense to me. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is there is there any other comics that you would suggest to to check out that are like doing? Um, so you mentioned Vortex Comics. Was there any, anything else you can think of that like I should go check uh, out, or the listener should go check out? Yeah. So like I said, um, you know, Comic Republic does great stuff. Um, there's Vortex Comic, and um, there is also um, Comic Exposed as well. Um, they're from Zimbabwe, and Comic Exposed is spelled C O M E X. P-O-S-E-D as well. And um, there's um, uh, Quasi, Quasi Comics from South Africa. Um, they have a superhero called Quasi. That's K-W-E-Z-I as well, too. And um, there's, there's so many, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank. But I also love some of, like, <laughs> some of the things that um, some of my friends in the indie game over here are doing. Like I said, um, Johanse is definitely highly recommended um, by Paul Louis Julie. He also has another book called The Pack. And that's based on, um, you know, um, early, very, very early, I think it's, what, 1500 B.C. Um, Egypt. Uh, it's kind of like, it's like, you know, blending um, prehistoric, uh, not prehistoric, excuse me, um, you know, uh, ancient Egypt with um, werewolves. It's, it's, it's excellent Ooh. stuff. Yeah, it is. It is. It's you know superb stuff. Um, so that that's um, that's what, you know the you know some of the some of the stuff that um, is currently out there. Um, that, that I really like, even um, you know, stuff from um, Sean Mack from um, Fuse Media. Uh, he does a lot of great stuff as well too. Um, you know, um, my friend Greg um, Isnana, uh, the Wear Spider. That's that's another excellent graphic novel as well. So there's so there's so many people, and um, and I I really really hate bringing up names because then I forget someone so special, and then I have to hear it after that. But if I forgot your name, I'm so sorry. I, I blank out when I get on po- podcasts. I talk a whole lot when I'm on cons, but when I get on podcasts, I, I just start to blank out. <laughs> but, yeah, those those are some of the um, you know the books that I would highly recommend uh, that you check out as well, as well as my books, EXO and um, The yep. Upcoming Malika. Please don't forget that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yes, oh, yes, yeah. yes. We'll be definitely uh, tweeting out in uh, <laughs> the link, and then uh, for those who are listening to you on demand, you'll be able to check it out there. Um, so with the, the comic itself, you went and in, um, went through Kickstarter to like actually publish the the volumes. Yeah. Um, what was it that like really drew you to doing it through Kickstarter, and you know what were some of the kind of the the hurdles or lessons that you learned by doing that? Um, for me, so my first Kickstarter, I did it for two reasons. One, obviously, I needed uh, money to print the books. Um, I, I mean, the money for the artist uh, that came out of my pocket. Um, and for me, that's honestly, it's it's the way I feel most comfortable doing Kickstarter is when I have a final product and I just need to print it. Um, I don't necessarily mm-hmm. like to raise money to, um, you know, pay myself or pay the artist. And I don't, I don't have anything against anybody that does that. Please don't get me wrong. Um, for me personally, I, I just um, I feel a whole lot safer when I have okay, the book is done or the book is c- almost completely done. Now all I need is money to print. 
Um, so Money for Print obviously was one of the, uh, the motivating things. And I said, I, I was doing graphic novels, so I was doing regular, regular floppy comics, and graphic novels are expensive to print. Um, the shortest book I've written is 136 pages. And um, the next one was 152, and Malika is going to be about 160 pages. So, um, yeah, so I, I needed for the first EXO, um, I needed um, the first reason was the money to actually print the books. But I also wanted to, um, you know, prove to myself that I could actually do this for a living. So if I couldn't raise a certain amount for my book, I didn't want to quit my job to do it. So it was basically me testing myself, okay, can I market this product in a way where if I continue to do this on, on a consistent basis, I can actually create a franchise out of these characters. So Kickstarter for me was a test of myself to see if I was ready to promote my books the way I wanted to do or to, to um, you know, create buzz and write stories the way that people can be, gravitate towards it enough where I can start to build a fan base. And uh, I, there was no better way for me to actually put myself through that crucible than Kickstarter because, like, um, as you know, Kickstarter is basically all or nothing. You, you either raise all the money or you don't get anything. Um, so luckily for me, um, you know, putting it out there, and I also think having um, an animated um, short, which I translated, which I um, edited to a trailer, um, I think that helped a lot because people were able to see that I was not only – trying to do comic books, but eventually I wanted to spin off into animation as well. And the, anima- the, the short animation I did that I used to, that I was trying to use to raise money for the animated movie, I decided to now use that to promote the comic book, and that worked out, you know, very well. So I tried to raise 3500 and I ended up raising, I think, 10000 you know, so it was very, very oh, successful. Wow. Super proud, and that gave me the confidence to say, you know what, you know, you can actually, you know, do this if you, you know, if you make the right decisions, you do the right things, um, eventually you can get this to a point where you're doing this on a consistent basis and you're actually building a fan base. Did you have an active social media community who were, like, communicating with you around wanting to have graphic novels like this beforehand? Or, like, I mean, did did this really go from, like, zero to, to 10,000, as it were? Or, like, were you guys kind of somewhere along the way uh, and were able to capitalize on your existing relationship with fans who were yeah, looking for so, the kind of content you wanted to make. Right. Um, so I would say no because I, um, like I said, I, I basically was pushing the animated movie in secret for about two years. I, um, I started. Um, I think I started shopping around around 2013 or beginning of 2014, I believe. And it wasn't until the end of um, around um, middle of 20. So about one year, I was um, about a year and a half, I was pushing the animated movie. But I didn't put anything on Facebook. I didn't share anything at all. I was basically just trying to get distributor meetings, get investor meetings. Uh, It wasn't until I I realized that, you know what, um, you're going to have to do this the hard way. You're going to have to build your fan base yourself. No one's going to hand anything out to you. No one's going to shell out a whole bunch of million dollars to do your project, no matter how great it looks, you're going to have to go through the process of starting from the ground up, building your fan base, and then eventually, after some time, you can now cross over back into the animation. Um, and then I, I just basically studied Kickstarter for, I think, about four to five months, and um, I was looking at what people were doing, but as, as I was studying Kickstarter, I began to put out pictures of the characters and say, hey, guys, what do you think about this? Then I started a mailing list. 
And then I started to get active in different um, carnival groups as well, too. And then I started building, um, you know, uh, it wasn't too huge of a fan base. But then I caught a break when I, I, I got my animated um, trailer featured on Mashable. And then a couple of months oh, after wow. it was featured, yeah, a couple of months after it was featured on CNN. So that brought in a whole lot of, um, you know, initial pour of people who actually have been waiting for stuff like this. Um, I just didn't have the platform like a Mashable or CNN to push me out there. And uh, once I got those two articles, um, it, like you said, it basically from that point, not from when I started, from that point, it really went from zero to hundred where things started to, um, you know, you know, kind of like come together. So after CNN, then I got BBC, then I think the New York Times, and then as recent as a couple of months ago, the Washington Post did an article on, on um, some of my stuff as well too, you know. But, I mean, there's a whole lot of groundwork that went into it that a lot of people will never know about. Um, you know, I, a lot of people joke or some people will come to me and like, man, you know, it's so crazy. You just came out of nowhere. And <laughs> I just laugh at it. And in my mind, I'm like, only if you know, my brother. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, mm. um, it's been, it's been a very long journey. It's, it's definitely had its, its share of disappointment, disappointments, but, um, I'm, I'm very happy that, um, I'm on this path and there's so much that, um, I, I still have to achieve. I, I, I always joke with people. It's like, I, I don't necessarily take the time to look at some of the things that I've achieved so far because I feel like I don't want to get comfortable. So, um, I, yeah. I always, every, every day I have the mindset of that guy who, is about to release his first Kickstarter, and um, hmm. and I've done. Are you are you still I've done, active on like? No, sorry. I say, are you still active on social media a lot, like with your fan oh, yeah, base yeah. Um, as things get released? Yeah, very very. I try to uh, yeah, I try to be very active on social media because that that's really um, those are the people that have gotten me to the point that I am right now. It's basically you know people who found me online who have shared my stuff without even knowing who the heck I was, who has read hmm. my blogs on the website, um, you know, shared my, my posts, retweeted my tweets and things like that. So yeah, I'm very active on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook is probably where I'm most active as oh, well really? too. So uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but I haven't I been too active. In, in... The... Oh no, sorry. Continue. Sorry. Go... No, you were saying you haven't been too active. On... Yeah, no, yeah, no. I was just going to say that I, I haven't been too active because of my recent shoulder surgery, you know, that I had a month ago. So I'm just kind of like yeah. getting back into into the groove of things. Um, you know, uh, with the comic that you're that you're coming out with that ha- that that um, I forgot the name of the with the one with the female protagonist. Who's yeah, Malika. Malika. Um, so yeah. yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about what that story is going to be about? Yes. Yeah, so Malika, Warrior Queen, is a historical fantasy that's set in a 15th century um, West Africa. Um, and uh, Malaika is the queen of a fictional empire called Azaz. And uh, she basically is trying to fight for control of her empire because it's gotten so big that it's not attracting attention from people that are outside of the region. So um, she, mm. she gets into a clash with the, um, the Ming uh, dynasty, which is an actual uh, the Ming dynasty. You know, they were, they were um, a, a ruling superpower in the, in the 15th century as well, too. And um, so the, the story kind of like follows how Malika responds to threats from the Ming Dynasty and also how she interacts with her 
a council within the walls of our empire and also deals with some of the issues that are happening outside our empire. So she's basically fighting two fights. One, to protect mm. the people from, protect her people from outside, um, the, the outside forces, and another battle, you know, another political ba- battle to, you know, basically keep a throne from everyone who feels like, um, you know, she's not taking them in the right direction, even though she's taking the, um, the kingdom from just this tiny little kingdom in the, you know, you know, uh, in, in West Africa to this huge empire with, you know, five different provinces as well. So um, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It sort yeah, of sounds yeah, like there's, some of the themes a... that people were talking about with the crown, which I have not seen because I really pretty much only watch cartoons. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but people are talking about, you know, like the crown, that the new, that, the, the new yes. uh, I guess it's an HBO series where it's like, you know, the, the questions of like ruling um, right, and exactly. with the internal and uh, external threats and stuff. That's really interesting. Definitely. I'm, no, I'm really, yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I'm going to start using that in my description. It's basically the crown, but imagine Queen Elizabeth with a sword and going out to fight. You know, yes. so um, yeah, that's, that's basically basically what it is where there's like this really, really, like, you know, being a king or a queen is such a glamorized thing where it's so glamorous and people just see the outside workings of, you know, how, um, you know, a king flourishes and how rich they are. But, um, in reality, like ruling is uh, is a terrific it's it's a terrific burden on the people that, especially the great ones, and not the ones that are either corrupt or just who are after their own interests. Like the actual great leaders, like the the, the burden of rule is something that it's it's really really terrible to the people that are actually in power, and uh, you know which is really why I'm I'm very happy you actually mentioned the crown, um, because if if people like stuff like that, then they're definitely going to dig what I've done in Malacca is just that this one has a whole lot of, it has actual battles as, as, as well as, you know, internal politics and internal conflicts as well. And also using the, like I said, pre-colonial Africa and seeing how the kingdoms were and, um, you know, how an African, you know, queen, you know, basically ran an empire. Um, there's a lot of inspiration that I took from actual African, you know, mythology and also, you know, African history that did happen. You know, so as much as the story is fictional, I actually throw Malaika into, you know, events that you can actually, you know, go and research in history. So um, there, there was a time when the Ming Dynasty actually sailed to parts of Africa. Um, there are not really, um, you know, solid records of whether there was conflict or not, but the Ming Dynasty actually made their way over to Africa as well. So, and, and that was during the 15th century. So things like that is where I throw Malaika, a fictional character, and Azar as a fictional empire, but I surround it with actual historical events that happened mm-hmm. around that time. And um, I also wrap that around in, in some fantasy elements as well. And I think just putting all that together creates such a huge, um, such a huge atmosphere of, you know, creative storytelling that people haven't seen before. And one more thing as well, too, is that Malaika is actually tied to EXO. So it's actually a continuous story where, even though it takes place in the past, some of the things that happened in Malacca actually structure the universe that EXO is in. And that's going to be a continuing oh, wow. theme for all my books moving forward. That's really cool. That's really cool. Was that something that you were planning when you it? Yeah, with the, with the kind of the shared universe, was that something you were thinking through right. with when you were doing EXO? Or did it, it kind of like clicked to you while doing the new series of being like, Hey, I can tie these together and like actually build this, you know, big universe. Oh no! Oh yeah, definitely. This is something that um, I, I've been planning from, you know, from the get go um, before I even uh, put 
10th script for EXO, uh, the graphic novel, I had uh, 10 to 15 books that I wanted to work on. I like basically had um, the outlines for them. And I wrote all of them out, and I wrote how each of them was going to be connected before I even started to write the scripts for individual one of them because I really wanted this to be something that's really thought out. And it's not just something that's like, oh, this would be cool if this character crossed over. No, why is this character? And I don't even really see it as crossovers. It's just a continuous story where um, one of the reasons, like like I said, I got into comic books when I got to the U.S. I didn't read comics back home in Nigeria. But one of the things that I found difficult when I was trying to get into comic books is that I didn't even know where to start. There was million crossovers, mm-hmm. you know, a thousand ret- retcons, and this and that, <laughs> and then this kind of, Like, I just didn't know where to start. But, I mean, I was able to find my way because I was so, you know, enthralled by the medium. But for a casual fan who just wants to, you know, get into comic books, it's very difficult for them to get into, at least from my perspective, which is why I, I first of all, the main reason I decided to do graphic novels is because you can read a story from beginning to end in one setting and you get, you get satisfied with, oh, this, this, and this. I still live a cliffhanger at the end of each book, but at least you get a whole story and you can decide if you want to move on to my next story because you've had a chance to see it as a whole. You know, um, you know, so yeah, that's um, you know one of the you know one of the reasons why I decided to do this the way. It's basically how Marvel, you know, with their cinematic universe, have been able to pull people who never gave a damn about comic books. It's because they're so easy to get into, and you know, and like I said, the the um, you know not not just the action and the stories, but it's it's very accessible. It's like if I if I want to. If I want to get updated about the Marvel Universe, I know I have to start. I watch Iron Man, and I watch Iron Man 2, and then the Hulk, or whatever the case may be, you know. But um, that, that's kind of like what I took from what they're doing with their, you know, cinematic universe, and I, I'm deciding to do it via graphic novels as opposed to um, 10 different comic books that just make one story arc, you know. One graphic novel is, is one story, another is another story, and they each connect. And if you reach each of them individually, you're still going to enjoy them, even if you didn't read... Uh, the predecessor as well too. So it's very challenging to write like that. But uh, like I said, I had a whole lot of time to sit down and actually plan out the universe first into, you know, five different phases that I want to, you know, take these characters along for the next, you know, 10 years, you know, and hopefully, I, you know, I get to do this long enough to, to tell such a grand story because I feel like at the end of the day, it's going to be something that uh, that's really great. That's great, man. Hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Thank I'm you. definitely looking forward to it. Uh, also, something that sounds very unique. Like, you've really, really thought this through, and there's, there's not too many comic publishers that are thinking of how to weave together universes but make it accessible for everyone. Um, right. You know, there's, there's only really one publisher that I can think of. I you know, I don't want to give them the plug while we're talking to you, but it's the only one that I can really think of that seems to go out of their way to make things accessible and easy to, you know, for new readers to, you know, pick right. up one comic, um, or you pick them all up and you, you've got even like this more broad, richer tapestry to right. that you're you're enjoying. Um, so it's really, really, really cool. Uh, you know, are oh. would you? Sorry, continue. No, 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 no. Uh, uh, you know, you keep going. Oh, so, so with the, <laughs> with the, you know, EXO, you, I've read the, the the two volumes that are out. Um, you know, the, it's got that end with the, uh, you know, back in summer 2017. 
are, are you going to be doing another Kickstarter for that? You know, um, actually, I don't know. Um, okay. This is my thing about Kickstarter. Um, I feel like uh, when I first got into it, um, and like I said, uh, the internet is, has become such a great tool for, you know, us as indie publishers. But like I said, it's, it's you know, also made it a little bit, not a little bit, it's made it a whole lot tougher because there's a whole lot of competition. But I think that's also great for the industry because if you love comics, this is the best time for you because there's so much great content out there, you know, and you get to pick and choose um, from what you want to do. Um, I, I just, um, Kickstarter can be very exhausting. It's very taxing. It's, it's basically something that you do every day of your life, every hour for mm-hmm. 30 days if you decide to do it for a month. And um, it's, uh, it's, it, it, it requires a whole lot of, you know, mental and not just physical but mental energy and emotional energy to get through that 30-day campaign. And it's, like I said, I've done it three times now, and I've been very, very lucky to, you know, be successful and not just be successful, you know, most of the time going over, uh, you know, 200% for what I was trying to raise. And um, I'm very grateful for that. I feel very fortunate. But um, I'm going to have to really think about it if I want to do a next one. Because, But, again, the reason I do a Kickstarter is because, like, you know, I'm not Marvel, DC, or you know, any of the other huge publishers where I have, you know, it cost me to print a 1,000 books. It cost me anywhere between eight to $10,000, you know, dollars to, to, to get those books out. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I don't just have that sitting in my, in my bank account. Um you know, so um, it's um, it's it's really great to to have the product and be able to print it, you know, in a timely manner and to keep the stories going. Um, but um, the challenge to be able to do, to run a successful campaign is, is is very difficult. And like I said, there's more options on Kickstarter now, so you really really need to stand out with what you're doing to be able to 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 get the funding, you know, that um, that you need. So I mean, I, I mean, I would have to. You know, it depends. I, I said this after my first Kickstarter, right, that I wasn't going to do it again, and then I ended up doing two more Kickstarters. You know, so um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm, if it's going to be – I don't know if it's just the emotions talking now, but uh, we'll see. But I, I think it's definitely a great um, a great tool that um, that you can use to, to, to push your independent comics. And just to answer um, – not to answer, but to, to kind of like touch on one of the things you said um, before the Kickstarter question about uh, making it accessible – um, is um, yeah, that was um, for me. It's a priority, um, and it, it's the reason why. As much as I, these characters, I they are superhero characters, but um, I try to make them characters first. And you know, I, I like to focus on the genre that's outside of the superhero genre. So, like for for EXO, I, I want to make it sci-fi first before it's a superhero. For Malaika, I wanted to make it mm. fantasy first before it's superhero. Um, the, the next book that I'll be working on after Malaika is, is a book called The Windmaker, and it's also in the shared universe and it's a continuation as well. And that's that's based on, um, you know, a science fantasy, you know, genre as well too. So I want, you know, I want it to be science fantasy first before it's, you know, a superhero genre because I feel like those kind of, if you write from that perspective, it it'll stand the test of time. So if somebody just likes, you know, something like Troy, for instance they can get into my book because it has those kind of themes. But if you also like a superhero, you can get into it because it also has those themes around it as well, too. Um, and I feel like that's kind of like what sets, you know, you know, my writing style apart. I know a lot of people, not a lot, other people do it as well. 
Um, but I, I don't think it's something that's really, really out there where, you know, um, for for these superhero characters, you know, you focus on the subgenre first, like like I said, science science fiction, or you know, um, you know, steampunk, or you know, uh, fantasy, and then the superhero is kind of like something that's the icing on the cake, and that's what I try to do with my characters. Um, uh, and then I feel like um, that that brings in more readers to the comic book industry because a lot of people think comic books are just for oh superheroes and spandex. No, it's it's for people who love great stories. It's just a different, you know, kind of medium for people to 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 engage in stories as well. So, hmm, it's really a really cool way of looking at it. Um, well, we've had you on for an hour. We've I think we've taken up more than enough of your time. Um, you know, <laughs> as you said, you've. You're recovering from surgery, and we want to respect that. <laughs> uh, you know, be- before no we problem. wrap up, we always like to, to give our guests kind of the platform where uh, to plug all their stuff to, so people who are listening to uh, can find them. Uh, so the floor is yours to plug away. Yes. Yeah, so again, I'm Roy Okufi, and I'm the writer and creative director at Unique Studios. And um, we have some great titles that are coming out and also great ones that are currently out. So you can check out EXO, The Legend of Wally Williams, Part 1 and Part 2. Easiest way to get it is on my website, uniquestudios.com, and that's Y-O-U-N-E-K-Studios.com. And look out, you can also pre-order Malaika Warrior Queen, which is a historical fantasy that's set in, you know, 15th century West Africa. Nothing like you've seen before. You can pre-order that as well, too. You can also get my books on Amazon as well, Comixology, um, Apple iBooks, basically anywhere you can. You can get in some of the libraries and comic book stores around you as well, too. And if they don't have it, tell them that they must order it. Um, I can't stress that enough. That that helps, you know. So um, definitely um, please check out the books. Um, I'm trying to do something unique, no pun intended, um, you know, for the industry. And I feel like I'm bringing a, a different um, dynamic to the comic book industry that you've never seen it before. So if you check out my books, I promise you won't regret it. And if you do regret it, email me and I'll see what I can do. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Very awesome. nice. Yep. We appreciate you, you coming on and uh, it's been great talking to you. You know, it was, uh, something I've wanted to do since I met you in person at uh, Baltimore many months ago and, you know, read yes. EXO and really enjoyed it and can't wait to, to read the next one and the next one after that. So, um, it's great having you on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. It's been a pleasure, and um, I really, really appreciate the opportunity. And I look forward to coming back, hopefully sometime next year. And by that time, I hope I have you know four books. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, right. absolutely. We'd love to have you back. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. All right. Yep. Night. All right. Well, that was very cool. Definitely a different perspective, yeah. and. Uh, a cool, um, cool new uh, comic world. Uh, it's great to see someone, you know, not just, uh, you know, giving us new characters, but really giving us characters that are in, um, you know, countries and, and regions that you don't usually see represented in comics. So that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. Yes. Uh, so. So to you, yes. Um, yeah, I was going to say real quick, um, I know that a lot of folks have been asking me now, you know, if there are ways that they can get involved, more involved in uh, helping to protect the, you know, their communities to be di- embracing of diverse 
people from all over the world, different races, orientations, gender presentations, religions, and the works. And um, I wanted to flag that on the 18th of December is a big uh, mobilization that's happening in cities around the country, uh, International Migrants Day. And I know a lot about the rally that's happening in New York, obviously, but I know that there are others happening around the country. Um, I will be uh, tweeting out the link and information for the New York March, but um, definitely check, keep your eyes open on social media. Book out December 18th on your calendar as a good day to just be out in your community and showing solidarity with migrants. Um, our call to action for New York in protecting immigrant communities from deportation, preventing the creation of a Muslim registry, and supporting refugee resettlement. So just like for folks to see that there are others who are willing to stand up and join them in the streets is really a powerful experience. Um, I know that, uh, oh, I should have written down who did this. There was a really good car- a cartoon that someone did this week about the um, – the Muslim uh, college student who got harassed on the subway in New York just the other day. And uh, um, I think the comic, the, I think the comic series is Ovenland or something. And she did a, a, a really brief comic, a digital comic of um, what had happened to uh, a young woman. We got some press coverage of her Um yeah, it's it's the her her Twitter handle is O V E N L A N D, um, uh, illustrating what happened to this young woman on her way home from from classes, and just to me like you know hearing that the, that these sort of things can happen even in New York City where people are are subject to like literally having racists try to rip her hijab off her head while nobody on the subway even did anything. It's just terrible. Um, I mean, the other side of it is a friend of mine was on the bus in the city and somebody started shouting anti-Latino things at a woman on the bus and everybody on the bus got up and like stood around the woman who was getting harassed and like told the woman who was screaming at her to be quiet. You know, like there's more than one way to respond to this. So we have stories of people standing up and taking care of their neighbors and stories of people completely laying down their social responsibility. So Definitely check out the cartoon that Michelle Hess did over on Ovenland. And um, with this environment going on, yeah, I really hope to see more of you guys in the streets protesting and standing up for your neighbors and yourself. Yes, absolutely. Um, as we wrap up, you, you said that people should check you out uh, on Twitter, that you'd be tweeting up information. So where uh-huh. can they do that? Yeah. Yes, I am E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. On Twitter, um, yep, that's Ilana underscore Brooklyn. Excellent, uh, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back with a brand new episode next week. Uh, this episode, mm-hmm. for those who came in late or want to listen to it again or share it around with friends, is going to be up on iTunes and Stitcher a little bit after things wrap up, probably about an hour or two. Uh, but also be up on SoundCloud tomorrow and, of course, on our website a little bit after that, so you'll be able to listen to it there and share it with your friends. You can catch us every single day at graphicpolicy.com. Of course, we're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy, keeping it nice and consistent. So as always, thank you for listening. Much appreciated. And until next time, I'm Brett. I'm Ilana.
Keep it geeky.